0: From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. If you're new or you haven't been around in a while, we are journeying through the ancient book of Ephesians together in the scriptures. It is important for believers to be in the word of God. And I think that's, that's assumed, but unfortunately, the majority of the conversations I have with believers is that they're not in the Word of God. How can we be people of the Word and we're not in the Word? And if we're going to fight against a very real spiritual enemy and we're going to be able to stand in the coming great tribulations of this world, we need to know the Word because one of the ways in which our enemy battles against us, in fact, probably the most prominent way, is deceptive ideas. And so how can we know truth if we are not in the truth and soaked in the truth and drenched in the truth? And so we are digging deep into, pause, we're digging relatively deep into the book of Ephesians, but deeper than probably what we would have done on a Sunday morning. And Paul is speaking to this young church in Ephesus, in this city, this pagan city, And the first half, he's sharing the gospel good news. The second half is good advice, and we're in the first half. And last week, I shared Paul's declaration of God's power that he prayed for the Ephesians to have amongst other things and how Christ, in Christ, um, God has raised him and put him and seated him above all the powers and all the rules and all the authorities on this earth and throughout the earth. And we kind of talked a little bit about those spiritual powers that there's um, outer manifestations of inner spiritualities that are in our world. But Jesus, the true Lord and true Christ, is Lord over all things. And today we come to another passage in Ephesians chapter 2 where Paul further expands upon the gospel. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 for us just for context, but we're going to really just focus on 1 through 3. So if you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. I'll wait a moment for you to open up your app, <laughs> click on the button, go to the the right. I don't know if there's a page on the app, but how many got it open? A few of us. How many are afraid to raise your hand? <laughs> Bring your Bible to church. You have a phone in your pocket, download the app. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 5. Well, part of verse five, as for you, Paul speaking, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. Father, thank you that in Christ we've been made alive. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. And I pray that as we look to this passage today, you'd remind us of who we once were and who we are today. Lord, and we would be proactive in turning from the things, God, that so easily entangle and grip grip us, and the deadness and the sin and the transgression that is in us for the sake of the love of Christ. So speak to us today, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, come, that we may be changed and transformed into the likeness of Jesus. We pray, amen. Okay, you've heard it before, I have good news and I have bad news. Which do you want first? Raise your hand if you are a bad news kind of person first. You know, you want to rip the Band-Aid off, deal with it, and then move on to the good stuff. Okay, raise your hand if you're the good news first. You're good news. You know, I need to hear some good things before. Soften me up a little bit. Butter me up so that I can handle the bad. I I asked this question to Jody, my wife, and to... Joshua, who was sitting here with me this morning, and I asked him this last night, and Joshua's like, bad news, for sure. I'm like, why? He's like, because then when you're sad, he's like, sewed into it. When you're sad, you'll have some good news to help make you feel happy. Yeah, it's good. It is wisdom, right? <laughs> so for those of you who are good news first kind of people, no, I'm not saying that. Um, Paul, in this part of the, the, the scripture is giving us bad news before good news. Now, depending on your Bible translation, some translations will kind of put, you know, they'll they'll change the, the text a little bit to speak of the good news first because we're often eager to speak of the good news, right? We're often eager to get to the good news of the gospel. But Paul doesn't announce the good news until he really presents the bad news. And this is it. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. That is awful news. Awful. You're dead in your transgressions and sins. In a society that's so easily offended, we are compelled often to be accepting of everyone and every ideology so it's become easier to present only the good news of the gospel. God loves you, He made a way for you to be in relationship with him. And that is way more politically correct than to give bad news. But the gospel is good news. It's such good news because the bad news is bad news. The good news of the cross, of redemption, of adoption to sonship is so good because the bad news is so bad. The good news is good on its own, yes, but... God, rich in mercy, made you alive in Christ. That's good news. But there's a big but, and big buts are there because of big problems. Some of you are going to that song, I know. I like big buts in the Bible. You won't truly turn from sin. You won't truly... Repent of sin and then truly grasp the depth of God's mercy and his love and so grow in intimacy with Christ unless you understand the gravity of your sinful nature before Christ. In churches where only good news is shared and bad news is omitted, you have people who have license for sin. And they come into the church and they think that God is so accepting of them and and all that they are, they have no need to change, that they're shocked when they may read something different in the scriptures. In fact, I listened to or watched a documentary on a megachurch recently, and there was a gentleman in that documentary that was speaking against the church who lived a homosexual lifestyle and was the worship director of this church, did not know that the church's doctrine spoke against it because no one ever talked about it. The reality is God does want to transform us. He does want us to change. Come as you are, but he wants us to change, all of us, every single one of you, every single one of us into the likeness of Jesus. All of us have fallen short, he says. Come, and let let me make you like my son, Jesus. So Paul gives the bad news. Daryl Johnson in his commentary says, apart from God's actions in Jesus Christ, we were or are in a very, very deep pit. So we're going to make our way through the pit a little bit as we go kind of section by section, verse by verse. And then as we do, I want us to ask ourselves this question, where does this deadness or this sin still rule in me? So Paul says, before Christ, we were dead. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Sin is to miss the mark of God's standard. You're looking for a definition. What is sin? Pitcher and archer, you know, firing an arrow towards the target and missing the target. That is to sin. It's to miss the mark of God's standard. Transgression is trespassing. It's stepping over clear boundaries. We've all done it, the scriptures declare. Every person, and it's resulted in death. Both physical death, we will all one day die. But more importantly, we were dead in the only sphere of life that finally matters. We were dead in relationship to the source of life. We were dead in relationship with God. The Bible reveals and describes that someone who is absent or has lack of relationship with Jesus is dead. It's a form of death. If to live is Christ, which the Bible says, then to not have Christ is to be the walking dead. It's to be a zombie. One person said, we were, as Paul alludes, as interested in the things of God and his kingdom as a corpse is interested in the things above ground. The message version of the scripture says this verse like this, it wasn't so long ago that you were marred in old stagnant life of sin. And we could all try all we want, but we could do nothing to make ourselves alive. A dead person cannot make themselves alive. That's why Paul says, but God, rich in mercy made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead. If you are able to say Jesus is Lord, it's because God, rich in mercy, made you alive in Christ. If you can raise a hand in worship, believe in this, it's because God, rich in mercy, made you alive in Christ. He goes on to say, he says, we were dead following the ways of this world says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. The word for world here is the word cosmos, and it doesn't mean physical earth. It doesn't mean physical space and physical universe. It means the world rejecting the presence and lordship of Jesus. It's humanity organizing itself against God, society organizing itself against God. So we follow the ways of this world, a society organizing itself against God, when we determine how to live by by it, by the world. We follow the ways of this world when we let our sense of identity and worth be determined by it. We follow the ways of this world when we let our purpose and livelihoods be influenced from it when we let our understanding of how community works to be shaped by it, when we let our understanding about sexuality and marriage and family and gender be formed by it. So let me ask you some questions. Let me ask us some questions. Who determines those things for you? Who determines how you live? Ask yourself. Evaluate. Examine yourself, as the scriptures say. Where do you find your sense of identity? That's a tricky one because most people don't realize it's often in what they do. What's the first question you ask somebody when you meet them? Other than maybe what's their name? What do you do? Your job, your career, your purpose, who influenced that? Your understanding of community, who shaped that? Your understanding of sexuality, marriage, gender, who formed that? If you say anything other than Christ the word of God, the church, then it's possible that in some area, venue, that you are still following the ways of this world. And church, I'll be honest, we are all there in some degree. Paul is saying outside of Christ, our values, our identity, our purpose, our very beings were set by a godless way of life and vision. Eugene Peterson said it this way, you let the world which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. This is not good news. Paul, before being made alive in Christ, we were following the ways of this world, which implies now that we are alive in Christ. We follow the ways of the word, which means, let's work backwards. We determine how we live from the Word. We let our sense of identity and worth be determined by the Word. We let our purpose, our livelihoods be influenced by the Word. We let our understanding of community and how community works be shaped by the Word, and we let our understanding of sexuality and marriage and gender and family be formed by the Word, the Word of God, God's Word, because He is our Lord. Paul digs deeper still. And he says, we were dead following demonic spiritual powers. He says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So before Christ, we're not only taking cues from the world, the society organizing itself against God, but we're also going with the flow of demons that despise the name of Jesus. In sin, we unknowingly cooperate with demonic forces of evil. Now, that sounds really crazy to our world, right? The Bible says this kind of stuff, the truth of God's word, is foolishness to those who are perishing. So if we kind of get like, come on, that's what the scriptures declare, right? Paul later on in this letter will say our struggles, our battles, are not just against flesh and blood, but what? Principalities and powers and rulers and forces in dark high places, He's revealing to us that all we see is not all there is. And so he's saying to them, before Christ, you were unknowingly aligned with the enemy, the spiritual enemy, Satan. Without our eyes being open to the truth, the truth of sin, of spiritual deadness, of the cross, we intentionally align with him. We play him for his team. See, I'm not playing for his team. No, no. There's, a, there's a, an image, I'll say this, an image I heard long ago of, of two sides and down the, the middle was a fence. And on the one side, this is God's team. On this side, this is the devil's team. Those who follow Jesus are on God's team. And those who don't are on the devil's team. Where along came a man, he said, well, I'm not on either team. I'm not for Jesus. I'm not, I'm not about God. That's not for me. That's for you, not for me. But I'm not for the devil. So he sat on the fence. So I'm not for either or, I'm neutral. Well, eternity comes, God returns, he brings all of his people that are part of his team to heaven. And along comes the devil, gets everybody on this side, pulls them off. And he says, hey, you on the fence, you're coming with me. He goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not coming with you, I'm not for your team. He says, I own the fence. Judas Iscariot did not take Jesus to be the true Messiah. He didn't believe that Jesus was acting the way the Messiah should have act, acted. And so he went along with the chief priests and authorities, and he gave him up. It says in Luke chapter 22, then Satan entered Judas. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. He was following the demonic spiritual power. Ananias and Sapphira in their early church, people were selling property and giving it to the church for the kingdom of God. And they came along, they sold some property, and they gave some, but not all. And no one was expected to give all, but they lied about it. They said they did give it all. So Peter says to them, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? You're following the demonic spiritual power. Every one of us, in one way or another, outside of Christ, have followed demonic forces. When you are walking towards Christ and you're not living by the Spirit, you are aligning yourself with darkness, with the devil. Some of us are more obvious than others, but the devil is cunning. He's he's smart. He's he's deceptive. He's wise. He's manipulative. Paul says it's that spirit, Satan, that is now at work in those who are disobedient. Disobedient. Paul likes making up these words. If you go into the original language, he makes up a lot of words by combining two words. And so disobedient here is, is two words. It's the word belief and then the letter alpha, which negates anything it's attached to. So what he's saying here, it's non-believing, not believing. The root of disobedience is not believing. That's the goal of the spiritual enemy, to get you to not believe because if you don't believe, you won't obey. If you don't believe, you won't obey. I don't believe the Bible says that about marriage. I don't believe the Bible says that about sex. I don't believe it says that about money, about coarse joking, about purity, about holiness, whatever. I don't believe that's, that's your interpretation. You heard that before? That's your interpretation. Well, if you don't believe it, you won't obey it. And that's exactly what the enemy wants you to do, not obey. So he gets you to what? Not believe. How does he get you to not believe? He deceives you. In what ways are we following spiritual forces of darkness? The Bible says, examine your heart, examine your mind. Paul digs deeper still, further, further into this pit. He says, all of us lived gratifying our flesh. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. Now, most of the time, the Bible uses the word flesh, It refers to our nature trying to live apart from God. Not just flesh. Not your skin. But your nature trying to live apart from God. The world is human society organizing itself against God. Our flesh is human nature trying to live apart from God. What our flesh does is it puts us at the center. What our flesh does is it turns us against God and turns us on us. When we gratify the cravings of our our flesh, we are self-oriented. We are self-driven. We are self-focused. We are self-empowered. Paul, to the Galatians, he describes actions of the flesh like this. Listen to this. He says the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Now, those sound really big, and we're like, nah, definitely not me. He goes on to say hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and then my favorite, and the like. Things like this. Kind of gives like a junk drawer. Everybody's got a junk drawer in their house that's got a little bit of everything in it, right? You need to find a paper clip, you go to your junk drawer, right? You need to find elastic, you go to your junk drawer. Whatever, it's just a smorgasbord of a lot of things. That's what he's saying. He's just like, and the everything that's like this is there. Now that's not the whole story, right? And Paul will reveal that in other places that we are made in the image of God. So when you look in our world and you see in people who are far from God goodness, you are seeing the image of God at work, but in their inner nature, there is a flesh nature, which is focused on self. All of us, at some point, maybe not those more darker expressions, but this nature is at work in all of us. Discord? You ever been divisive? You ever kind of like got angry and frustrated, had a fit of rage? Maybe try to, you know, talk bad about someone behind their back because they were doing really bad stuff. That's usually how it works, right? I need to tell you this so you can pray for them. It's a caveat for I'm going to gossip. Selfish ambition, drunkenness, That stuff's in all of us. The flesh resists God. It fights against God. The flesh doesn't want to submit to the will of God. The flesh wants us to be satisfied in ourselves. At one point, Paul says we were all there, all of us. Some of us still are. And maybe that's at work in us still, that nature Paul, another point in the Bible, he talks about how he's got these two parts in him at work and at fight, so he doesn't do what he wants to do. He says, what I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I do those things. But he declares the goodness of God in Christ. As he sees sin still working in him, he declares God's goodness and delivering him from that. And then his final point, he says, apart from God's rich mercy and grace in Jesus, we were deserving of wrath. He says, like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. Now, I don't know about you, but that conjures up a lot of ideas in my mind when I think about wrath. It's a little bit difficult to say wrath. It's like a tongue twister. We picture a God who's out of control. We picture God full of passionate anger casting lightning bolts from the sky like a Zeus gonna smite the people. Acts of nature. Now, in the Old Testament, judgment is often these dramatic displays of God's power, the flood, right, the plagues of Egypt, God using corrupt, wicked nations to destroy the Israelites and bring them into exile. But when you see those, those works of God, those powerful works of God, that's always following God's patient endurance of man's rebellion. And often, with warning and warning and repeated warning, turn, turn, turn. It wasn't fits of emotional rage like a, like a child or a child in an adult's body being frustrated and giving the people what they deserve. Here's what one author said. He said, when the biblical authors speak of the wrath of God, it's God's controlled, relentless, righteous reaction to all that is not righteous. Another one said it like this. He said, The wrath of God is often confused with that irrational passion we so frequently find in man and which was commonly ascribed to heathen deities. The wrath of God denotes not so much a sudden flaring up of passion which is soon over as a strong and settled opposition to all that is evil arising out of God's very nature. God's wrath is not like man's wrath. God's wrath is his opposition out of his good nature to all that is evil. And the present form today, and some would say the most, the most worst expression of God's wrath is letting us have our own way. It's handing us over to ourselves. To, this, to the sin we choose, to the world we prefer, to the powers we follow, to the flesh we indulge in. When I was 18 years old, I was in college. I wasn't following Christ. And I had made a fool of myself getting drunk at the local college. And I remember my friends had to drive me home in my car. And I tried to sober up at my friend's house a little bit before I went home. When I got home, my mother, being a mother, super intuitive, knew exactly what had happened. I don't know how. Moms. Jeez. And all she said to me is, your father will deal with you. Now, at my home at the time, my parents weren't aligned. They were separated, emotionally at least. He was never around. They didn't come together for anything. So I was worried. And I remember the next morning, my dad speaking to me, and my dad often had fits of rage. He was an angry man. He was, he was a loud shouter, and, and he just sat me down. He said, call, very gently, very calm. He says, you can do what you want with your life but if it's something like this just don't include us. And that was it. And that killed me because he was just handing me over to myself. And that's like the wrath of God. Romans chapter 1 verses 18 to 32 says this the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlinessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, its eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. In other words, you can look around and you just see God's creation and that declares that God is real and that is enough, he says. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their, fool- and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like human beings and, and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over. In their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones in the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what, so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also prove of those who practice them. Sounds more and more like Western world organizing itself against God. Invite Elizabeth, would you come? Play the keys a little bit as we close, come to a close. Sounds more and more like human nature trying to live apart from God. So when you find yourself in that place, church, justifying sinfulness, engaging in it frequently without conviction, you are experiencing a form of the wrath of God giving you over to yourself. When there's no conviction in you for making a mistake and falling short of God's glory, let me say this. We all fall short. Nobody is perfect except for Christ. You will make a mistake. And if it does not lead you to feel conviction, Lord, I'm sorry. Ah, I'm sinful, I make mistakes. If you don't go there, you are experiencing the wrath of God who's handed you over to yourself. God in his wrath says, you wanna keep crossing the line? You wanna keep going with the ways of this world? You wanna align with spirits of evil? You wanna live with yourself at the center? Go ahead. He's a good father. It does not force you against your own will. That's the wrath of God. Some people say it this way: they say God doesn't send people to hell; He just gives them what they want—eternity separate from Him. I think it's really funny when, when a non-believing person who does not hold to the Scripture, does not believe in Jesus, talks of heaven. Like you, why would you want to? Be in a place where God exists eternally when you don't want to be with him today. Eternity separate from him. What is that like? Unquenchable fire. Gnashing of teeth. It's the self imploded on self. So Paul says, this is who we are and who we were apart from Christ. Dead. Dead utterly dead. Following the world and demonic forces, gratifying our flesh, deserving wrath. This is really bad news. Apart from God, you are dead. But God, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. That's the goodness of a good father. That's the goodness of a good father. God, rich in mercy, does not want to give us what we deserve. Wrath, punishment, eternal separation. So instead, he gives us what we do not deserve. He makes us alive in Christ. He does not leave us to ourselves. He comes and he rescues. That's what salvation means, rescue. He rescued you from you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. This should leave us to praise. Why is this good news? Because the bad news is so bad, which makes the good news so good. So my little son yesterday, he's like, yeah, I want the bad news because when you're sad, you're gripped by that, there's something that makes you happy. So let's face this bad news. Let's face the truth, the facts. Let's be honest with ourselves, so that we can step into the glory of God's goodness, the good news, the gospel. But God, rich in mercy, made us alive. Paul is saying this while in chains. He's in prison. Like he's not really free physically, the physical reality. But he's pointing to something so much deeper. But God, rich in mercy, saved us from all of that. Makes this bad news. Do you know that saying? God helps those who help themselves. It's not biblical at all. God helps those who can't help themselves. God helps those who can't help themselves. That saying actually comes from the Greeks, just so you know, Greek culture. God helps those who can He comes to those who are dead and he makes them alive. That's good news. So maybe you're here today, and if you're like me, this resonates with you a little bit. Maybe there's pieces in your life, there's areas, there's spaces where this, this old way still has a rule. Well, Paul says to throw off. Scriptures say throw off the old, put on the new. We are a new creations in Christ. Maybe you're here today and you've never committed your life to Christ. Maybe you're listening, you're online and you've never committed your life to Christ. You are dead in sin, but the spirit of God is stirring in you right now. Commit your life to Christ. May your eyes be open to the truth of Jesus. You know what I love about this? Nothing that I can say can can compel you to that because that's a work of God. So I just want us to respond a little bit. Would you bow your heads? want to speak to those two people really quick and just take a moment if we could take a moment in the spirit the holy spirit's presence and just respond to what he's saying to our hearts as individuals so if you're here and jesus is not your lord or you're listening and jesus is not your lord your ruler hear the gospel truth and believe in jesus today that he can forgive you of your sin and your trespasses he can wipe your slate clean he give you life seat you with him in heaven, raise you up. Without him, you are spiritually dead for all eternity, but with him, you can be alive in Christ. Turn to him today. Confess your sin and ask him to forgive you and become Lord of your life. It's as simple as saying, Jesus, I am a sinner. I need you. Forgive me. Make me alive in Jesus. If you're here, Jesus is your Lord and he is your savior. Maybe take a moment and just confess areas in your life where this sin and trespass and deadness still rule, where you are still following the ways of this world or the spiritual enemy. Just bring that to the Lord. Bring that to the Lord. Ask him to forgive you renew you to set you on the right path just take a moment church Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you made a way when there was no way. Lord, your word says that while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for our sin. You took our place on the cross and you paved a way for us to be with you. Thank you, Lord. And so for those of us today, God, who walk with you, but maybe we've fallen short in areas, restore us. As the psalmist prays, create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us. Do a work in drawing us closer and closer to following the way of Christ. In Jesus' name. Lord, you know the hearts of everyone here and everyone listening. Maybe there's somebody listening today and they don't know Christ. They don't know you, Lord. They don't walk with you. You're not ruler of their life. Stir their heart right now in Jesus' name to follow after you, to repent of sin, and receive forgiveness, and make you Lord. Thank you for the good news of the cross. Thank you for the good news of redemption. Lord, but let us be mindful of where we came from so that we can can dwell in your mercy and the richness of your grace, God, and intimacy even more. Lord, your word says those who have been forgiven much, love more. So let us reflect upon the areas in which you, God, have forgiven us so that we can step into love even more so. We bless your name. We bless your goodness. We honor you. We lift up the name of Jesus in this house and we praise you precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Can I read it one more time? Now, I focused on it in, in more present tense, but let's look at it like how he writes it. It says, as for you, you were dead. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the year. Spirit, who is now working those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Thank you, Jesus. Can we praise God for that? So listen, church, may God bless you abundantly, and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and may he lift up his countenance before you and give you peace in Jesus' name. If you are sticking around today for our Pollock, hopefully you are. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.